You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. Got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, we, uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And the idea of, of the text, the idea throughout all of the book of Acts, is that God is doing a work in this newfound organization called the church. And, and, and this is an entity by which he brings about his most sacred and holy truths and promises we we are like this is this is what's amazing is the church starts in the book of acts and it's still going today the church you and i we are we are the hands and feet of god that will accomplish what he will accomplish until he returns so this we're the entity that god accomplishes his great things in this world the great things that will matter in 10 million years are accomplished through the church. Now, when I'm talking about the building, I'm not talking about the bricks and mortar, although I'm thankful that they're here. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you as an individual, you as a human being that has been reconciled and redeemed by the holiness and the great goodness of who God is. You are the hands and feet of God that, that will, as he will for him to accomplish what he's going to accomplish until he returns. The church, listen, the church is the single most important organization that has ever been created. The the church is more important than any government, any school, any private business or entity or any other extracurricular organization. The church is the most important thing on the planet earth. God mobilizes human beings and inspires them in such a way to bring about the message that will forever transform the fate of human beings. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel will bring eternal salvation for those that believe. This this message of the gospel... It it transforms. The message of the gospel rescues. The message of the gospel redeems. And this is why having biblical theology is more important than anything else in the entire world. This is why theology matters. This is why what we do here in this place truly will forevermore matter. And so... In saying that, go to Acts chapter 19. The last time we were together, I know that we've we've been apart for a couple weeks, but the last time we were together in the book of Acts, we saw in chapter 18, Apollo speaking boldly and refuting the religious Jews in the synagogue. And today we enter into chapter 19 and we see Paul, he heads to Ephesus and he goes and he reasons and he shares the gospel with those in Ephesus. And and what's interesting is the way that he took was not the normal route that you take to get to the, the area of Ephesus. 
Um, the way he took, he went through an inland country and he went a little bit differently. Um, it was not the most commonly taken route to get from where he was to where he needed to go. Rather, it was the most direct route. It wasn't the scenic route. You know, you got your GPS and you type in scenic route or fastest route. I made that mistake one time on the way to Branson. I took the scenic route <laughs> at night through the hills with a wife who has a really, really queasy stomach. She doesn't ride roller coasters. We took the scenic route at night. Didn't see any scenes, but Jamie did want to throw up. Uh, so that, that happened. Um, but he took, the most, he, mo- he took the most direct route. It was the fastest route. And Ephesus, now just a little bit of history here. Ephesus was a capital of the Roman providence of Asia Minor. It is in, it's in modern day Turkey. So Ephesus, the, the church of Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians, that's, that's where that comes from. Ephesus was a, a, a city that was a massive city, and it had a lot going on in this, this town. There was a lot going on. Um, there's a ba- the background on this. Um, the, the groundwork was laid by um, a, a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they were amazingly, an amazingly gifted couple that, that, that God just gifted supernaturally and were actually good friends of Paul's. We saw a couple weeks ago how they tried to help save Paul's life, save people's lives in the church. So Priscilla and Aquila, they were in uh, Ephesus and they were laying the groundwork. They were doing the, the work necessary to preach and proclaim the gospel in Ephesus. So... Um, now we, we meet up and Paul gets there and, and we see this amazing thing take place in, in the text. So we're gonna, I'm just going to start in chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1 and I'm just going to read. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism, baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him. This is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came into them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about, there was about 12 men in all. And he entered into the synagogue for, well, okay, actually, you know what? We're going to stop in verse 7. And we're, we're going to keep going in verse 8 in a minute. But I want us to see this because Paul's now in Ephesus and he finds these disciples. And Immediately when we hear the word disciple, we think that it's someone that's a follower of Christ. Actually, the word disciple doesn't necessarily mean Christian. Disciple means a learner or a follower. So Paul asks some questions. He digs in here and he asks, these, asks some questions of these men in this text. He starts to say he asks um, some, really, some really pointed questions. And we'll see here in a moment that these men, these men who they had not really fully heard or understood who Jesus was. So therefore, they were not genuinely followers of Christ. They were not, they were not Christians yet. They were, they were still in the mindset that the Messiah was coming. Remember, because we see in the text that they were baptized by John. John was baptized and saying, listen, repent of your sins. 
and believe in the one who is to come. That was what John the Baptist did. He was in the wilderness eating locusts, saying, Repent of your sins and be baptized, be baptized and, and look forward to the coming of the Messiah. He was, John was the guy that was paving the path for the Lord Jesus Christ. So these men had not heard about Jesus yet. They were still in the mindset that the Messiah was coming as to how they answered the question. They were like, wait, wait we never heard. Who's the Holy Spirit? What? What's the Holy Spirit? We look at that and we're like, yeah, we know what the Holy Spirit is. Yeah, we, we know who he is. We know exactly. These guys had no clue. And so Paul looks at him and says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? This is a question that reflects Paul's uncertainty about the authenticity of these men's these men salvation. It's it's not necessarily wrong. Listen, it's not necessarily wrong to question someone's salvation when they say they're a Christian, because they may not have a proper understanding of what that term actually means. Um, I heard a story one time of a pastor in Texas. Um, he was asking a guy, just having a conversation with him, asking him, said, hey, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? He said, absolutely. Well, the pastor dug a little bit deeper and asked a few more questions. He said, tell me about how Jesus got a hold of you. Tell me your testimony. He said, well, I was born in San Antonio. <laughs> and? I was born in San Antonio. That's why I'm a Christian. Wait a minute. You're not a Christian. Just because you were born in San Antonio doesn't mean you were a Christian. And so it's not wrong. Paul gives us the example. It's okay to dig a little deeper, to ask people questions. Because if you walk up to the normal average person in America and say, are you a Christian? 90 something percent of people will say, yep. Why? Because it's been ingrained in us in culture to answer the question, yes, I'm a believer. Yes, I'm a Christian. Because... Quote, unquote, we're a Christian nation. Now, we were founded on Christian principles, but I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, we are far from a Christian nation. We were founded on Christian principles, but we have abandoned that. We have abandoned those principles. So, it is okay to dig a little deeper and ask a few questions and, and, and find out if someone is genuinely a believer. So in the text, these men answer Paul, and the way they answer in verse 4 shows that they are not actually Christians. This is why it's so important that we ask probing questions when we talk to people about Christ. Like I said, 90% of people, 90 plus percent of people in America say that they belong to Christ. But if you do a little bit, a little bit more digging in the conversation, you might find an opportunity to share what it actually means to be a Christian. These are, this is why you have to ask follow-up questions. Hey, are you a Christian? Yeah. You've been bought with the blood? My dad did that in my living room with a guy who was a, who's a Catholic. He said, hey, are you a Christian? He said, well, yeah, sure I am. So you've been bought with the blood? He goes, well, man, I hope so. You've been born again? He goes, well, maybe. So listen. His understanding of what it meant to be a Christian wasn't actually biblical. He just answered because that's what, it, just the knee-jerk reaction. You're a Christian? Yep. You've been bought with the blood? Well, I don't even know what that means. What? Blood? You've been born again? Well, what does that mean? Scripture says you've got to be born again. We're born once by water. You're born a second time by the power of the Spirit. 
You've got you to ask probing questions. Because this is, this is a prime opportunity to find out if Jesus actually got a hold of him. One of my favorite questions, how did Jesus get a hold of you? Because that's a pointed question. Uh, You've got to think about that. I can tell you, I was a, a pastor's kid growing up in church, and I was sitting over in that side of the pews in my dad's church when I heard about um, Pharisees and how that they were religious, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. And I was like, man, the Holy Spirit used that verse to convict me. Say, listen, that's you. You're religious, but you're lost. You need to get saved. So I came down front, asked my dad, said, dad, I'm not saved. Luckily, I had a father who had spiritual intuition who said, okay, let's pray. Let's talk about this. Led me to Christ, prayed. I repented of my sins, asked Christ to save me. And guess what he did? I believe that he saved me. And this is, these kind of questions are laser-focused questions. Being vague, being just an ethereal, vague idea is often not helpful when it comes to explaining and understanding the Scriptures. Being vague about Scriptures is very difficult when it comes to sharing the Gospel. Um, I sat yesterday, I was telling our Sunday school class, I sat for about 45 minutes with my wife's sister on the front porch of her dad's house uh, talking about Jesus and she had some questions and wanted to just get into like sort of a debate type thing and I just I just shifted the conversation. I said, let me ask you a question. How do you get to heaven? She's like, well, Jesus. Okay. That's you're right. That's yeah, Jesus. But there's something a little bit deeper than that. We need to go a little bit further. What's the Bible say? Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says specifically, the time of the kingdom of God is at hand. What are you supposed to do? Jesus tells us, repent of your sins and believe the gospel. What does it mean to repent? Well, I don't know. Okay, so I walk her through that. These are pointed questions. These are laser-focused questions to find out, are you a genuine believer in Christ? Are you a cultural Christian? There is a difference between a biblical Christian and a cultural Christian. A biblical Christian has a biblical worldview through this lens. A cultural Christian is someone that just sort of kind of claims Christianity because that's what you're supposed to do in America. Totally different things. Cultural Christians aren't saved. Biblical Christians are. These people in the text, they answered the question in the following way, showing that they had no idea who Jesus truly was. Verses, they say, we don't... No. He said, you've been baptized. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No. Well, we know because of history, we know at the moment of our conversion, at the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit enters into us and we are sealed in with Him. The Holy Spirit seals us in to the salvation and our, our salvation is, is, is permanently sealed by the Holy Spirit. So this is why Paul asks these men, did you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of your, of your moment of your belief? He's like, no, we, we didn't know. We didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. What is this? I don't even know. And then he goes a little further. Into what were you baptized? He's like, well, John's baptism. He's like, oh, okay. Now I know what you're doing. You're still believing. You're still, the Messiah has already come. His name's Jesus. Oh, they hear it. They hear the gospel presentation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for their sins, and they believe, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and we have a physical, visible representation of them receiving the Holy Spirit. We'll see that, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. So, they, they, they weren't saved, 
by what they were doing with John. They were just looking forward to what Jesus, they were looking forward to the Messiah. See, John's baptism was, he was preaching repentance of sins and that they should believe in the one that was to come, who was and is Jesus Christ. So Paul explains this and they believe Paul's presentation of the gospel and they come to faith in Christ. And notice, after, after they heard and believed, they were baptized. I always like to put this in, in here because it's necessary because we live in a weird world. A spoonful of water or a tank full of water will not save you. They were baptized after they believed, not before. It was not a prerequisite for them to be saved to get dunked or sprinkled or just they just a lake full or a spoonful of water will not save you. Now, it is a command in the scriptures that, that believers be baptized, but it is not needed for salvation. So many churches have twisted this and added this as a needed work in order for salvation to truly be authentic. That is not necessary whatsoever. You're saved by grace through faith alone. Amen? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's it. You're saved by grace through faith alone. Now, verse 5 says, Upon hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, interesting enough, once again, theology matters. The point was that they came to understand who Jesus was because of the gospel being preached. Now, there is a religious organization out there called the Oneness Pentecostal Church. There's one in Bartlesville. Um... They believe and they teach that if you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that your baptism and your salvation are not legitimate and that you're going to hell. How do I know? Because my sister-in-law knows one of these people. And they were having a conversation about this. And she's like, listen, you need to come to my church and let my pastor baptize you the proper way in the name of Jesus. And my sister-in-law was like, I, I am saved. I have been baptized. She's like, but that's not... Le-. She, I'm not kidding. She said, that's not legitimate because you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized just in the name of Jesus. Now, this religious cult, that's what I'm going to call them, this religious cult takes their entire salvific or salvation theology off of this text in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where it says that... Uh, Peter, Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. So they take the verse that I just read here in Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 238, and they build this whole theology that you're only supposed to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they do not believe in the Trinity. This teaching is a form of what's called modalism, which is an ancient heresy where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are not actually three entities, three persons, but rather they are three modes or three offices of God. That is a horrific heresy and needs to be burned. It will be one day, but that is a horrible, horrible theology. And this is why context matters, because the people can make the Bible say all kinds of things to try to okay what they think is okay. That's why a verse out of context is pretext. And it's, it, you could build 
silly things. You're going to see here. I, I got some more here in a minute. But that's just one. They take one little tiny verse and they say, this is what has to happen. And, if you, and they tell people, if you've not been baptized just in the name of Jesus, it's not legitimate. That's heresy and they're crazy. That's heresy. Period. So we see Paul lay hands on them in verse 6. And this shows or signifies that they were now a part of the church and that they were truly believers. So they hear the gospel presentation, they, they repent, they follow Christ, and they're baptized. Paul lays hands on them and then we've got a visible, physical signification that they are now a part of the church. And these men speak in tongues here to signify that there was actual physical proof that they were born again. Now, I don't know why that happened. But that's what happened in this moment. We don't have to have that done today because we have the, the entirety of Scripture. The only thing I can think is that they did not have the entirety of Scripture in this moment. And that they were, they, listen, they didn't know everything about all this. We've got everything we need right here. At this moment in time, they didn't have all this. So Paul does this. God allows this to happen to signify an outward visible representation of them being born again. That's why this happens. They, they prophesy and speak in tongues. This is physical proof. Listen, 10 minutes ago, they didn't know who the Holy Spirit was. Remember? The text said, listen, I don't know who the Holy Spirit is. We didn't even know it was real. Holy Spirit comes in and, and does a physical manifestation of, listen, I'm here. Here's how you know I'm here. And they did some stuff that they'd never done before. And it was not explained other than God did it. Now, they didn't do... Listen, it's not the gibberish that we see on TBN. And that was, that was another conversation I had with this lady yesterday. It's not gibberish. It was an actual known language. This, this sign is not... Listen, and here's the thing. This is not needed in 2022. Because we have the entirety of Scripture. We have the wholeness and the fulfillment of Scripture in our hands. And we know what God wants from us because of the book that you hold in your hand. There are other Pentecostal groups that teach and believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not truly sealed in with the Holy Spirit. Once again, another horrible theology. It is a horrible doctrine that it's taught. This is why theology matters. This is why it is so important that we dig into what things mean in the Bible rather than just guessing or just taking somebody at their word. Well... Okay, if that's what I need. I mean, think about it. Joe blew off the street, gives his heart to Christ, repents of his sins and gets baptized, and then has a, doesn't know and has a conversation with some of these crazy people from this, this Pentecostal group that says, listen, you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not legitimate. You're going to hell. You need to come to my church and let my pastor do that. Like, that sounds, that's cultish. That's cultish. There's nothing special about me. I don't need to baptize you. There's nothing magical about your pastor that has, well, my pastor needs to baptize you. Psh. There's other churches that teach that. There are sects of the Church of Christ that teach that. The Church of Christ in Bartlesville? The guy that used to be there in past, like I, my mom had conversations with that guy. He, he said, listen, you need to be baptized by me in order to get saved. That's heresy. That's not taught in the text. Nowhere in the text is that taught. This is why 
it is important to have pr proper biblical understanding. It's vital to have proper biblical understanding. Like, this is why there's so much even... This last week, when I was in Colorado, the Southern Baptist Convention had their annual meeting. That was a show and a half. That was a circus. Proper biblical understanding is vital. There was so much turmoil this last week in the Southern Baptist Convention where there were so many people playing, playing fast and loose with the text. It just boggled my mind. They changed the, the lyric in one of the hymns to move it from um, the idea of God died for my sins to God died for my mistakes. That happened from the stage, not out in the, out in the front yard with the band playing in the front yard. I'm talking on the main platform with the screen, with the words on it. They changed the word from the idea of God dying for my sins that God died for my mistakes. You see, what the, you see the direction we're going? It's not. Listen, God didn't die for my mistakes. He died for my sinfulness. He died for my wicked, depraved heart that needs to be redeemed. And when you start mincing, words matter. And when you start saying, well, it was a mistake. No, you sinned. You, I sinned. And then you get, and then, and then they let Rick Warren, who is a false teacher, get up for 10 minutes and blather on and on and on about how he's trained 1.1 million pastors. And he said, I've trained more pastors than all of the Southern Baptist seminaries combined. That's haughty. That's arrogant. That's prideful. Went on and on and on about how he has made the Southern Baptist Convention what it is today. That brother needs to, like, I just, I was righteously angry when I watched that brother. Like, I, I, I can't. And then furthermore, for 45 minutes they had a discussion from the platform on whether or not they should have a committee formed to determine what a pastor is. Really? That, that doesn't need to happen. We have a clear, clear message from the text. What a pastor should be. That's almost as stupid as when the, the crazy people in D.C. said, well, I don't know what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. Like, that's the craziest. When we don't have ourselves grounded in sola scriptura, which is Latin for scripture alone, when we do not have ourselves grounded in the text... This is what happens. You get into confusion, fairy tales, and silliness. That's the reason Paul said in 2 Timothy, there's coming a day, there's coming a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. You know why they had this discussion for 45 minutes? Eventually it was rejected, but they're trying, to, they're trying because of people like Beth Moore and other, other women preachers, they're trying to get it into where we can have women pastors. The scripture is extremely clear that women are not to be pastors. Now, there are teaching offices. There's time to, like, well, there's nothing wrong with a lady teaching a women's Bible study. It's fantastic. My wife does it. But if you know, my wife doesn't stand behind the pulpit and preach to you all. Because the text very clearly says no. You can't do that. What happens when you don't ground yourself in the scripture is confusion and dysfunction will come about. And what's really sad is that so many pastors and youth pastors who are my age 
I think this is the reason we're having the problems we're having is because we got guys that are my age that grew up in the youth group circus mentality where you got to give a circus to get people in and we got to keep giving cir- circuses to keep them in the building. Have this circus circus mindset of everything in the church and we've got these shallow, we've got men that are 75 miles shallow and two inches deep. There's no depth. We, we, we throw away where we've had this, um, we've got these pastors that are part of these purpose-driven churches where the circuses are thrown in order to get crowds in and they're bringing that philosophy over into the, their ministries now and we're throwing depth out for popularity. We're throwing biblical depth and theology out the window because we want to be popular. Listen, you can't make this book popular with the world. It will not be popular with the world. The world will not think that this book is okay. The scripture says that they they consider the things of the cross and the things of Jesus as foolishness. So don't stop trying to be popular. The SBC is now, due to the popularity of all these crazies, they're throwing out biblical historical doctrine for theology that is easy and palatable to to digest theology matters if your theology is not based on the entirety of the scriptures you'll cave to popular culture every single time and man we're seeing that lock stock and barrel in the churches today we're seeing men and women who are throwing away biblical doctrine and say well that uh, it's going to offend somebody yes this book does offend people it offends me. And if it doesn't offend you, you're not reading it right. Culture does not dictate the word of God. It doesn't dictate what happens in this sacred desk. Culture cannot dictate theology because you will have a theology that is not biblical. I was reading to the Sunday school class this morning. I was reading this book this morning by Patrick Morley. It's called How God Makes Men. And he, he writes and he says, There is a God we want, and there is a God who is. They are not the same God. The turning point of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. If your theology is not based in the entirety of the scriptures, you'll cave to popular culture. Like I said, there's a difference between cultural Christianity and biblical Christianity. A biblical worldview rubs against the grain of culture. It does not flow easily. That's the reason in Matthew chapter 7 says that the gate is narrow. And the way is difficult that leads to eternal life. But the way to destruction is wide and it is easy. But because Satan is a liar, guess what? They strapped across the Broadway's entrance. This way to heaven. You don't have to give anything up. You don't have to give up any of your sin. You don't have to give up any of your life. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to be different. You can just do what you want. Love who you want to love. Do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. Act any way you want to act. And there will be no consequences whatsoever. That's what Satan says. And you get to the end of this. And you're going to come before a holy, sovereign God. And you're going to say, wait a minute, God. 
I was at church. I did mighty works in your name. I did this. I did that. I did this. The God's going to look at them plainly and say, I don't know who you are. Depart from you who work in iniquity. Go. Scripture is very clear that the way is narrow and it is difficult to get into the kingdom of God because you have to give up yourself. And that is one of the most difficult things that we as human beings do. We cannot for some reason give ourselves up. We want what we want and we want to please us. We want to, I want big I, little you. I'm all about making myself happy. We are some of the most narcissistic human beings that have ever lived. We just are. It's, so what are, what are we supposed to do? Well, what does Paul do? Paul goes into a place where narcissistic people are. In verse 8. He entered into the synagogue. And for three months he spoke and preached boldly. Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, Christianity, the way is what they called Christians back then, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him and reasoned daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And they continued for two years so that the entire residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord and both Jews and, both Jews and Greeks heard. So what, is it, what do we do? In a narcissistic, me-focused, shallow theology culture, what are we supposed to do? We are to be reasoning and persuading men and women from the Word of God. We are to stick with the Word of God. We need to be boldly proclaiming the biblical gospel to a world that is desperately in need of it. We need to be reasoning with people and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Yesterday, I was reasoning and persuading my my wife's sister about the kingdom of God. I, I believe she needs to be saved. I believe she needs to repent of her sins and trust the gospel. That's what we're called to do is to pro- bolt. What's the scripture say? He boldly proclaimed this. This means that you're, you're probably going to offend somebody. And that's okay. How do we know that you're going to offend somebody? Because Paul did. But some of them were stubborn. You ever met anybody that's stubborn? Maybe you are the stubborn one. Just checking. But they became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. And what does he do? He doesn't try to debate them. He doesn't try to argue with them. Now he tried to persuade them. But what does he do? He just says, okay, fine. We've seen it over and over again where he shakes his clothes off and says, this is on you now. You don't want to listen? You're in the hands of God. I'm going to go where people are going to listen. So he goes to the hall of Tyrannus with the disciples and teaches for two more years. And what happens? The entire region hears the gospel. You and I don't have, listen, you and I don't save anyone. And listen, that's, that's been a weight on my shoulders a few times. But listen, I don't carry that weight. I don't, that's an unnecessary weight for me to carry. I can't save you. I can try to persuade you, but I can't save you. You want to do what you want to do? Say, well, 
Just me. I just have, I just have to answer to God when that happens. Or all only God can judge me. I've heard that one a lot. Only God, God can judge me. Yeah, He can. And that should terrify you. That should terrify you that God can judge you. Like I said, read the read Jonathan Edwards' sermon, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." That that'll open your eyes. You and I don't save anyone. We are just called by God to be the messenger. I'm just scattering seed. I'm going to scatter seed. Go to people that will listen, preach the gospel to them, plead if necessary, persuade, reason with them from the text. But if they don't listen, don't sweat it. If they don't listen, don't sweat it. Just keep reasoning and persuading and find and find God to be faithful and let God bring the increase. Amen? Amen? Like that's, that's what we're called to do. That's what the text tells us to do. So we see Paul do it here. Now listen, we, we got 12 brothers that believed. They just didn't have a proper understanding. They thought that they knew who Jesus was. And that's the thing. Is I think a lot of people think they know who Jesus is until you actually do some digging and you're like, wait a minute. Whoa, I didn't know that was him. And what you need to do is you need to repent of your sins and you need to repent where you've fallen short. Repent where you have defied God and say, God, I'm sorry that I have not listened to your word. I'd rather listen to culture and I've listened to my own, my own thoughts. And I, I, I followed a God that I wanted to follow. I followed this God that, you know, who, who I want. I want this God that will excuse my sins and excuse my behaviors and excuse my mindsets and excuse my philosophies about life. And man, I want to I follow him because that God, God makes me happy. Listen, that's called idolatry and that will lead you to a destruction at the end. There's a God we want, and then there's a God who's really here. We need to follow the God that's here, not the God that's up here. Amen? We don't need to follow the God that's in our minds. We need to follow the God that's right here. And I just, I just want to publicly, as your pastor, repent where I've not given you guys clear instructions on this. Where I've not been as clear as I need to. So I'm, I'm sorry that I have un, been unclear. My heart is grieved that I have not been clear in some of the things in the Word of God. So I'm, play, I'm praying that today the clarity of what's in the Word of God rings true in your ears and in your heart. And where you need to repent, I pray that you would. Because it's necessary. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarville, Kansas 67024. God bless you.